Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, read A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 165, A Game of Thrones, Bran, introduction, and first chapter. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. Yeah. Do I sound excited? I mean- like just a little? <laughs> you do, you do. I mean, I know that you're very <laughs> excited. You've been looking forward to this POV for a long time. Before this episode, you straight up said to me, you're like, I don't know, I did my notes, they're done. And in my head, I'm like, well, I like this chapter, so I'm going to take eight hours, Eliata. See you tomorrow. <laughs> I also like this chapter. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm also just, you know, very tired because a lot of exciting things have been going on, right, in the fandom lately. For example, when we record this, it's the same week that the second episode of House of the Dragon dropped. Yeah, we've spent what, like... 10 to 12 hours recording together in the last nine days yeah i'm really tired <laughs> but uh, I'm, yeah i'm tired i'm sick of you but i'm not sick of brand one and i'm not sick of hot d i'm just kidding yes. i'm not sick of you it's okay you can be it's okay i'm not yet <laughs> i give it two more weeks no <laughs> brand one is like i mean this this is an exciting chapter but hot d1 and hot d2 was also really exciting <laughs> as a new chapter in our lives it was, it yeah. was. And I mean, like, some of it are chapters that we've uh, read and visited before. And so mm-hmm. we, we actually revisited those again with Fire and Blood, right? Can yeah, we... our, we, we did what? We did the Dance of the Dragons in, like, 80 episodes. I'm just <laughs> kidding. But it was, like, six to eight episodes overall, including, you know, a couple tertiary episodes, like Mushroom or yeah, uh, that's right. the Valerians, right? I, guess I mean, Mushroom our counts. Patreon bonus episodes, I think it counts. It's all yeah, about that's the right. That's true. That's true. Yeah, <sighs> Mushroom Madness. Mushroom Madness. But like all of our dance episodes, we already did the dance in an extended length in the Patreon special episodes. So if you're over at patreon.com and you're in the stranger tier or above, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, you will get bonus episodes every month. And... Not only are we doing House of the Dragon weekly, Tuesday mornings, you get that episode in your feed. Everybody does. Patrons get it Monday night. But not only, not only that, but we also then did another Dance of the Dragons, almost, not really, a Fire and Blood episode the other day for patrons, right? Exactly. Exactly. We... (laughs) We're dragging out. We actually, honestly, not yet. We are dragging this out, (laughs) if you will. Oh my god. Oh my god. Fired, fired, fired. <laughs> fired and blood. And fired and blood. It, it's my time. You know, fired and blood. Oh you know, God. it's my time. And this time around for this month, and by this month I mean for August's fire and blood episode, we covered Mothers of the Dragon or Milfs of the Dragon, depending on which version of the title that you would like to <laughs> consider canon. Just like fire and blood, there are a couple <laughs> canons going on. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Something that I love, I mean, House of the Dragon is giving us a ton of lore so far and peppering it in really well. And I think it's really fun to watch how they do it. But I love the stuff that comes before the dance. I love, I mean, we'll give you a teaser here, patrons and friends. We love Reyna Targaryen. Oh, I mean, yeah. We would kill for her. She would never ask us to because we're too pretty, but we'd kill for her. I don't think she she would ask us you. She might do it herself. So she yeah, she'd kill for us. Do it herself. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Reyna Targaryen would kill for us. 
we talk about Reyna, we talk about Alyssa, we talk about Rainies and Visenya, because turns out we wanted to go a little more in depth. And so in typical also, Girls Gone Canon fashion, just like we did with the dance episodes, we're like, what if we did this as a part one? <laughs> so I mean, they deserve it. They deserve to have a multi-part episode about them, the mothers, the milfs of the dragon. I don't know. I, I, I really enjoy that George took the time to flesh them out. And I think we... I mean, I've never thought as much about Visenya and Rainey's as we got to kind of flesh out. It was very fun. I really yeah. rather enjoy this episode. I hope you all do too if you go check it out at our Patreon. Yes, indeed, indeed. And some other things that you can access through our Patreon are, of course, our Patreon Discord, which is available to members in the Thunder Tier and above, $10 and above, where once a month we do our brunch slash happy hour on a weekend. You know, we do games, giveaways, get to know yous, fun stuff, but we're doing a couple other gatherings during this joyous season. Yeah, we'll definitely let you know probably next episode on the next brunch slash happy hour, but we are doing weekly House of the Dragon episode discussions. Every Friday, hosted by our friend Maddie, is a discussion at 2 p.m. Eliana time, E.T., in our Discord, where you can chat with other folks about the episode of the week and speculate towards the next episode. And it's so funny because I know by Friday, I mean, we're back in the Vicious Throne cycle, right? You get your episode Sunday. All the takes float around Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday, you finish most of your episodes and different things of the week and you're starting to crave some stuff from HBO. Thursday, they drop some media and they're like, here's some promotional photos. Here's a scene or two. And then Friday, you're hyped again. The hype cycle has already started again. It's amazing. It's like, I mean, we already perfected this once, but here we are again, doing it again. So it's not, like, it's still refreshing by Friday. It's been pretty crazy. Maddie's doing an awesome job. Absolutely. So be sure to tune into those. And, I mean, we might have to do all of this all over again later this year. Who knows? Who knows whenever His Dark Materials, the television show, drops. But for now, if you want to refresh before the final season of His Dark Materials comes out, you can because all of our His Dark Materials episodes are out. Oh my god, that's so weird to hear out loud. We finished the Amber Spyglass and a lot of you at home are saying, wait a second. That was that one week where they posted the weird thing to our feed every month <laughs> that wasn't A Song of Ice and Fire. Yes, it's a great series by Philip Pullman, and I really enjoyed it. It was my first couple times through it. Eliana had read it when she was younger. If you're looking for another series in between books, etc., check it out. Check it out with us. We did 28 episodes on the first three books. It was a fun ride, and now, I mean, we have a couple ideas moving forward for our last week of the month, but I think for the time being, you're just going to hear House of the Dragon and A Song of Ice and Fire during that week. And once we kind of decide and put it out there, I guess you'll find out. And again, we make no commitments. That might not be until, you know, 2023, just because of, by virtue of when we're anticipating the His Dark Materials final season to air. And yeah, please let Absolutely. Us rest. <laughs> <laughs> Let moms rest. We are tired. Yeah, but not too tired for Bran. I'm, I'm hyped. I'm hyped to get into Bran. I am. Uh, I am. I mean, like you know, a few months ago because 
things got in the way. We started the prologue journey and said we should start back, and we were like, yeah, we should just keep starting back. So... <laughs> It felt right to do yeah. Brienne right after the prologues, and it's probably a little cheesy, but every prologue works to kind of feed into this idea of Brand, and you know it's so obvious True. it's right under your nose that this was next, in my opinion. But we did <laughs> mislead some of our friends, as we mentioned in our previous prologue episode with Zach from the Brotherhood without manners, and it feels obvious to me. You have the great start of the story with Will and Brand One, and Brand One being such an iconic chapter. And, you know, just so memorable of the entire story. And then, Bran 1, you look at the very end of the prologues, you have Varamir, which is another, you know, pretty iconic, dark kind of version of where Bran could go with his plot. Even Georgia said so. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it ties in, right? Like, even Sam, right? Sam ends up intersecting and Sam's, Sam's POV's tie in with the fourth one. It, it just makes sense. It's a nice way to mm-hmm. start back and from the first prologue to the last one, not the final one. Hopefully one day we still get that. One day there will be at least one more prologue. And I look forward to that day. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I can't wait to see the... The final two prologues. Yeah. Maybe the epilogues. Ooh. Interesting. I wonder. I do wonder. Because, you know, that one's not always like a given, right? That there's going to be an epilogue. So So what if no T-Wow epilogue? Though, like, I do think maybe the T-Wow epilogue could be a wall falling, maybe. But no T-Wow epilogue, but then an epilogue and ADOS. But what about the last book? Just kidding. (laughs) That's the epilogue. The whole (laughs) book is an epilogue. I mean... I think he's <sighs> I think he's really trying to get it wrapped up in two books, which is good, right? I think that's what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. But I yeah, you're right. I would not be surprised if we had an epilogue for wins and then it does really just make sense to have an epilogue for your final book. People do it all the time. It makes sense. Mhm. Got to have something. And speaking of how books end, how the story ends, my understanding is that there is a hint at like the final word or final sentence or something of the books that George is planning within this chapter. I've I've never really dived into that. I know a lot of people have, but I'm I don't know. It's interesting mm-hmm. to think about. I think we're gonna talk about some of that today for sure. For right. certain. Well, Chloe dived into well, that. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I want to talk about what we're going to do for our lightning round, Eliana, because I don't know if you've been around for the prologues lately, you might have noticed that we were being a little loose, you know, with our our lightning rounds for these prologues. We were getting a little crazy. And for the intro to brand lightning round, I too would like to get crazy because technically this is our first chapter beyond prologue, right? Obviously prologue's your first chapter, but this is our first real chapter chapter of the story. So I thought it'd be fun to maybe go through not just one Brandon, but all of our Brandons for our brand intro and talk about all of the Brandons that have been. Yeah, Chloe was like the pastest prologue and here we are. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's themes. There's themes. Themes going on. There are. And so to start <laughs> off, we have Brandon Stark, better known as Brandon the Builder, first king of winter and builder of Winterfell and the Wall. The next Brandon Stark is a son of Brandon the Builder, and there are rumors that he designed the High Tower of Old Town. Then we have King Brandon Stark. Hmm. 
Brandon the Breaker, King of Winter, who defeated the Knights King. Oof, so many kings in the sunset. In an alliance with King Beyond the Wall, Joramin. It's a lot of kings. Clash of kings. Yeah, there's a lot of kings going on in the north. A lot. Wow. A different time. Different era. King Brandon Stark, the shipwright, a king in the north who ended up lost sailing the sunset sea. King Brandon Stark, Brandon the Burner, the son of Brandon the Shipwright, a king in the north who burned the northern ships following his father's death. That's, he has trauma. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, this is great because it's honestly just like Nymeria. <laughs> That's true. The last two are just Nymeria. Uh, king Brandon Stark, known as Brandon Ice Eyes, a king in the north who recaptured the wolf's den from slavers originating from the Stepstones. You have King Brandon Stark, Brandon the Bad, a king in the north. Brandon the Bad, a new show. Like Breaking Bad. <laughs> king Brandon Stark the Ninth, a king in the north who stops Gagosi raids on the Bay of Seals. Then we have a sudden switch, I wonder why, to Lord <laughs> Brandon Stark, Brandon the Daughterless, a lord of Boom. Winterfell in the legend of Bale the Bard. Give them their royal privilege back. Lord Brandon Stark, also called Brandon the Boisterous, the second Lord of Winterfell post-conquest. And we have Lord Brandon Stark, Brandon the Boastful, the father of Lords Walton and Alaric Stark, a Lord of Winterfell. Uh, yeah, that's the one we get in Fire and Blood. Brandon Stark, the second Ben of Bennard Stark and Margaret Carr Stark. Then we have another Lord Brandon Stark, fourth son of Cregan Stark, and his third wife, Linara Stark, a Lord of Winterfell. Interesting. Right? Next, and we kind of start losing the Lord stylings, right? Now we just got some Brandons. Brandon Stark, the only son of Willem Stark and Lyanne Glover, who was nursed by old Nan following his mother's death and childbirth. Then we have Brandon Stark, eldest son of Ardo Stark and Lazara Karstark. How'd they sneak into here? You, <laughs> <laughs> you may remember this Brandon Stark, I would guess. The eldest son of Lord Rickard and Lady Liara Stark. He died from Ares II Targaryen, if you recall, through a pretty, pretty brutal death before Robert's Rebellion. And finally, we have Brandon Stark, a.k.a. Bran, second son of Lord Eddard Stark and Lady Catelyn Tully. Also known as Baby Boy. Baby Boy Bran. Raisin Bran. Raisin Bran. And it is <laughs> oh interesting God. that, like, you know, after a while, after they stopped being kings, people were like, mm, I want to name my kids other things now. <laughs> and... and Oh, the first that sons, is interesting. Yeah, the first sons stopped being Bran or Brandon as much. Maybe it's an idea of like them mm -hmm. losing history, but also I think they're like, I love other people now. <laughs> there are other people mm -hmm. I want to name my kids after and honor, right? Other devotions, yeah. There's something interesting too. Like I read an interview where George had said he had kind of clarified that there's the big joke with all the brands, right? And that Bran built Storm's End, and he built the High Tower, and he built this wonder and that wonder. Uh, it's funny because it's he related it to being more like 
when you see something really beautiful in architecture and you think it might be that person that built it or you think the quality is so good that it's like, ah, that's like if Brandon the Builder built it and that's moreover how it's gotten lost through time, which I think is great because this this chapter is like all about legends. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. Yeah, and I mean a lot of the story is kind of about that general idea but also i mean i think and granted they were doing that naming convention for a long time but Mm -hmm. they i mean also names go through cycles right like when they're in and they're not Mm -hmm. just in general Mm -hmm. well let's talk about what we missed what happened you know what happened in this lightning round i feel like (laughs) there's a lot (laughs) please remind me i think there was literally one chapter eliana (laughs) one chapter Yeah, and that was the prologue in A Game of Thrones, which is a horror story. And sadly, its main POV, Will, does not survive it. Oh. Oh, snap. (laughs) Well, we get to see some of the survivors in here, but... I mean, Chloe, that's not the only thing, right, that we miss. That's not the only thing that comes before this brand chapter. Can you tell tell me a little bit about our overview yeah, I'm going to quote a man, a myth, a, a monomyth, even, a legend. It was the summer of 1991. I was still involved in Hollywood. My agent was trying to get me meetings to pitch my ideas, but I didn't have anything to do in May and June. It had been years since I wrote a novel. I had an idea for a science fiction novel called Avalon. I started to work on it, and it was going pretty good when suddenly it just came to me. This scene from what would ultimately be the first chapter of A Game of Thrones. It's from Bran's viewpoint. They see a man beheaded and they find some direwolf pups in the snow. It just came to me so strongly and vividly that I knew I had to write it. I sat down to write and in like three days, it just came right out of me. Almost in the form that you've read. George R. R. Martin, 2014 in Rolling Stone. Nice. Welcome to the brand chapters, you guys. This is it, folks. This is it. This is this, this is started a song of ice and fire. It actually really did. I mean, this was these were some of the first words that were ever penned to the story, and the part where he says Avalon actually should not be reassuring to anyone. As uh, one of my friends from the R Aswaf subreddit slash Meister Monthly, Sam, he's still he's still sad and mad that. That story's not finished, but <laughs> ouch, ouch! Sorry, sorry about Bran Stark. Doesn't bode well for I don't know. Anyways, I'll take out that doesn't bode well. But here we are, start of a new story, and it opens with the morning had dawned clear and cold with a crispness that hinted at the end of summer. Literally from the start, it's canon that it's, it, I mean, they do take 20 good men. All right. That's just how the fucking books work. Like that, <laughs> the show, again, did not make that up. 20 good men rode north to see a man beheaded. And we got so much exposition in here. It's very impressive. Brandon Stark, he's seven years old. He's among them. It's a ninth year of summer, by the way. His brother Rob had thought that the man that they found was a wildling. And Bran thinks of Old Nan's tales about the free folk, they're cruel, they're slavers, they're thieves, consorting with giants and ghouls, and they steal girl children in the dead of night, drinking blood from polished horns. And we have uh, 
this line of and their women lay with the others in the long night siring terrible half-human children and and it's like you said right about those stories getting lost and people attributing these fantastical works the not fantastical i mean because they're real right like these huge monuments uh, and being like oh that must be built by x like insert a legend right and these stories about the free folk and legends these horrors throughout these books we see that get chipped away at as either half truths or straight up lies right like they do steal they steal women Mm -hmm. um we also see that like some are cruel some are slavers some are stolen and stolen as slaves some are maybe thieves but they're also stolen from and where what else are they gonna eat some of them do hang out with giants but the giants are like super cool they're very chill way chiller than a lot of people and they just drink normal stuff from polished horns but they do drink out of horns uh so you know there's there's a lot there right from the beginning and that makes sense right it's giving you at the top some of those themes of this is a story a song of ice and fire that is very concerned about that meta conversation of stories and narratives and how those become perverted and how these stories slash narratives are used to tell us who we are tell us our role in the world and maintain status quos and power which is something that george has examined even early on in his writing career like i think dying of the light is very much about that yeah that's a great point i uh the legend of it all and the fact that it's like the fact that it's just a guy like rob is like it must be a wildling but then he's like oh no he's just a dude and it turns out there's not much of a difference between free folk and northmen besides the wall mm-hmm. right uh it's conveyed so easily between these outrageous tales of what the free folk do and also the actual actions of the chapter he's just a dirty guy who's been on the run and seen some shit and where i don't know where it's really interesting is a lot of these things are actually true of people south of the wall too right cruel Absolutely. slavers thieves do yeah. not consort with giants but that's their loss well they will in a book in a couple books you know yeah, i hope so the giants get us to storm cool. through dance the giants are very fun uh, yeah so the man they intend to bring the king's justice to is a scrawny young man his ears and finger are lost frostbite dressed in the blacks of the night's watch, dirty, greasy. His lord father has the man dragged before them, and his brother and half-brother, Rob and John, sit on their horses, Bran on his pony. It's cute that they kind of think he's, uh, I guess, youngish. I don't know. It's Garrod. He's pretty old. Um, <sighs> right. And we get that connection, right? We know who he is, right? And we see how like these these fantasies are falling apart because we know that this quote-unquote wildling is actually a man of the night's watch right and it's as you said right a lot of these things are the same as people south of the wall and that the lines between Mm -hmm. those sides free folk westerosi night's watch are blurrier than we think which are like oh hi john you're here in this chapter that's his plot (laughs) also none of it matters when you're being chased by ice zombies very true very true 
The wind blows through a direwolf banner at the gate, and Bran's father is solemn. He's looking grim, and unlike himself, he had on his lord's face, not the face of their father, which speaks to a lot of what we discuss a lot in this series about performance and identity. Yes, this is the first mention of the lord's face this early. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... To an extent, right? That dichotomy between duty and love. But we'll get into that more as we get into these chapters. Questions and answers are given between the man and his father. And two of the guardsmen drag the man to a black ironwood stump. Then his father removes his Valyrian steel sword, which we get is named Ice. It's spellforged and dark as smoke and super big. Just like Oh, I don't know. I was going to make a dick joke, but I don't really want to make a dick joke about Ned. Um, why not? It's a great he, lo- first- he wants everyone to see it. That's why he stands in front of windows naked. Wow. Here we are. Back at a Game of Thrones. <laughs> back, back at, at it, it again. <laughs> Damn, Daniel. Back at it again with the white bams. You know, it's a great first view at Valyrian Steel right off the bat. It's mystical. There's something important about it. And it tells the reader, you know, keep your mm. eyes peeled for more Valyrian bits of culture. And we actually get our first three Valyrian references in Bran, Danny, and Tyrion 1. Oh, yeah. Danny wears a collar that has the glyphs in it in the courting Drogo sequence. And Tyrion reads Valyrian scrolls in Winterfell. And I just want you to know that I was thinking about this and I was like typing this down. I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's right. Tyrion reads Valyrian scrolls. And then I was like, wait a second. There are Valyrian scrolls in Winterfell? Mm. That is interesting. I literally did not. I had to go reread the chapter and go, huh. Uh, he says to Chael, to Septon Chael, be gentle with the Valyrian scrolls. The parchment's very dry. Ermidin's engines of war is quite rare, and yours is the only complete copy I've ever seen. Hmm. Uh, does that feel a little important? I feel it, like that's going to come back someday. Maybe it won't. Do you think it's burnt? Oh, fuck. God damn it. (sighs) Sorry. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Hopefully not. I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's an important book just to mention. And honestly, okay, Engines of War, it just makes me think of like War and Peace, right? Maybe it's their generation's War and Mm. Peace. But no, I mean, I think it really has to be some sort of dragon book. And the only complete copy Tyrion's ever seen? Huh. I think we're going to come back to that one. I really do. Yeah, like the dragons or engines, just like what we're going to see in Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. And Hattie, but much less, yeah, you know, Hattie. I'm just saying, they're... in Violet, you know, it looks like he's also a bike. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> so we have the beheading, where... Ned took hold of ice with both hands and said, In the name of Robert of House Baratheon, the first of his name, King of the Andals and the Roinar and the First Men, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms and Protector of the Realm, by the word of Eddard of the House Stark, Lord of Winterfell and Warden of the North, I do sentence you to die. He lifted the great sword high above his head. Bran's bastard brother, Jon Snow, moved closer. keep the pony well in hand and don't look away father will know if you do bran kept his pony well in hand and did not look away his father took off the man's head with a single sure stroke 
blood sprayed out across the snow, red as summer wine. <sighs> You're welcome. Thank you. We're Thank back. You. Do you We're feel back. good? I, I do. You, you can even say that? dead no a few times, you know. I haven't oh had a, I haven't had an occasion yet to say it. Everything is still like, all right, dad, you do that. And it's coming though. It's coming. <laughs> it is. It is. We get a little bit of Brand's reactions, interestingly, in this, but not right away. We just have him kind of like staring and like, okay, that scene happened, right? He processes what happens during the beheading later on through uh, this discussion with his father. But here, I think Brand steals himself. He he tries not to, I think, really feel it, desensitizes himself a little um, because John reminds him to. And I, he does end up showing weakness later, right? When it comes to the puppies, which, I mean, understandable. Bran is my soft baby boy. We, we've already discovered, covered, to discuss that. It's been years. Bran's my child. He's my son. Um, but there is something so soft about him, and it's interesting that John moves to protect him so much, right? Mm. And, like, tells him, he basically tells him, this is what you need to do. Don't look away. Keep your pony in hand. You know, this is what we've all had to do. This is a step of growing up in this family. And John, I mean, most of all, right? John, most of all, has yeah. had to learn this and had to be able to navigate this. And I mean, I'll say it later, too, because there's so much of it. But as much as this is a brand chapter, it's also a John chapter. Um, true. There's so much about John in this. Like, you get more of John's true nature than you do of Rob's true nature in this. You get a little bit of Rob in it, right? But you, I mean full stop you get so much of john in this to understand not just bran but also john and even eddard a little bit i'd argue and theon you got quite uh i mean he does a great job of establishing, establishing theon's yeah. character is... with just like a few things and you're like that guy's kind of dick <laughs> <laughs> we're about to find that out in just a second yeah and but theon's is a huge this a metaphor story. also hmm. like the blood red as summer wine you know feels like that. a metaphor george feels like does this mean anything i was thinking that yeah it does feel that way it does it does i mean the whole chapter does but true bran can't keep his eyes off that blood you know that that little summer wine and the snows around the stump drank it eagerly reddening as he watched (laughs) that's silly trees can't drink trees can't do anything don't be silly bran (laughs) not until they're 21 (laughs) yeah and that's just a stump it's a beheaded tree. Anyway. The head rolls near Theon Greyjoy's feet, who, again, he finds everything amusing, he kicks it away, and John mutters ass. And then his bastard brother turns to tell Bran that he did well. Again, like, Bran's not really showing much emotion yet here, because, you know, he's turned it off a little, and, and we start to get, I think, a bit of that discussion and insight into masculinity right what's expected of men in westeros we discussed that with the prologue and how the story starts establishing that right from that first chapter but we get that continuation Mm -hmm. here with bran right and the erasure of emotions that uh, violence should not elicit reaction other than like this is this is what's expected to you this is your lot which i believe our friend noah really does a great job of breaking down in I don't remember the name of their essay, but do check it out um, on their blog, The Shield Hall. Yeah, it's it's that, you know, put it in word. Um, just absolutely like what 
the whole idea of Furtamen of go away inside. You yes. know, it's similar to that. It's the same kind of concept and absorbing that and what it transforms to within yourself. And in most scenarios, I feel like it doesn't always transform into something that can be used for good. Sometimes it transforms into violence, sometimes um, depression. But for Bran, he's able, thanks to, you know, mystical powers and almost dying, to channel some of that, I feel like. And I don't know, it'll be interesting because emotions obviously are a big part of the story. Yeah, absolutely. And intention. Mm. Emotions and intention. Mm. Um, I know they're antagonistic with one another in A Game of Thrones, but goddamn did I forget how much George <laughs> establishes that John hates Theon's bitch ass. Like, completely hates him. Uh, he despises the guy in this chapter. Every yeah. other thing is just like him muttering ass, which is a big mood. I mean, I also despise my other son, Theon. He's kind of a dick. I love <laughs> Theon. <laughs> I love him so much. That's my boy. Ass, Later ass, that ass, day, ass, I don't ass. care for Theon. <laughs> um, there's something in this chapter interesting about John being framed as the smartest, quietest, knowing one. And that by being a bastard, he has to listen more and use his brain to navigate this world a bit more. And I think this shows, too, that that John doesn't trust Theon, right? Rob trusts him, loves him. Theon's around. Everyone's like, yeah, 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 Theon. John didn't trust that guy. Interesting. interesting. He did not. I, I really do think it'll be interesting. I'm sure that these two will cross paths again. I hope so. That'd be juicy. It will be. It'll be so dramatic. And that's what we want. We want drama. <laughs> We're gonna get it. Because <laughs> Bran rides back with his brothers ahead of the main party where his pony struggles to keep up. Oh, interesting. Rob, who has his mother's tully coloring, says that the deserter died bravely. He had courage at the least. But John argues uh, he was dead of fear. And where Rob is light, John is dark. His hair, his gray eyes, he is slender, quick, graceful. While Rob is strong and fast, but Rob doesn't really like John's answer. He says, the others take his eyes. He died well. They then choose to race to the bridge. They're having fun. Ah, youth. Rob is laughing. John is silent. And off they go. Kicking up snow. Bran doesn't even attempt to keep up, right? He was still thinking on the ragged man's eyes. Anyways, and grows deep in thought. So deep, he doesn't notice Dad moving up to ask him if he's okay. I love how much George contrasts Rob and John here, uh, not only just for initially showing you what different characters they are, but also showing kind of their looks and their heritage yeah. and their type. Rob is strong and fast, right? But John is slender, quick, and graceful. That sounds like a little bit of those Targaryen plus Stark genes together, you know? It really does. It really I mean, the Blackfish and Hoster were described as more warrior types, right? Oh, that's true. That's true. So their seeds are strong in different ways, it kind of seems. Yeah, through the build. Through the build, and I guess, you know, through the whole dragon thing, but whatever. We'll get there. Wrapped in his furs and leathers, mounted on his great war horse, his lord father loomed over him like a giant. Rob says the man died bravely, but John says he was afraid. What do you think? His father asked. Bran thought about it. Can a man still be brave if he's afraid? That is the only time a man can be brave, his father told him. 
Do you understand why I did it? Mm -hmm. He was a wildling. They carry off women and sell them to the others. His lord father smiled. Old Nan has been telling you stories again. In truth, the man was an oathbreaker, a deserter from the Night's Watch. No man is more dangerous. The deserter knows his life is forfeit if he is taken, so he will not flinch from any crime, no matter how vile. But you mistake me. The question was not why the man had to die, but why I must do it. Bran had no answer for that. King Robert has a headsman, he said, uncertainly. He does, his father admitted, as did the Targaryen kings before him. Yet... Our way is the older way. The blood of the first men still flows in the veins of the Starks, and we hold to the belief that the man who passes the sentence should swing the sword. If you would take a man's life, you owe it to him to look him in the eyes and hear his final words. And if you cannot bear to do that, then perhaps the man does not deserve to die. One day, Bran, you will be Rob's bannerman holding a keep of your own for your brother and your king, and justice will fall to you. When that day comes, you must take no pleasure in the task, but neither must you look away. A ruler who hides behind paid executioners soon forgets what death is. Mm, very interesting. We get a little bit of a... A, I, I mean, I'm just happy to have dad here. But B, we get a little <laughs> bit of this broken man shit, right? With all this uh, idea of, you know, why the deserter was dangerous. I mean, I think looking into the eyes of another, that'd break me. Uh, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd be peeing myself, right? As we've established through a lot of the Sam chapters. They and all pee. They all, all pee. I, I, I mean, I bet Garrett, he peed himself. Absolutely. And Pete everywhere, for sure. You know, it's not on. It's not on the snows like red summer wine. It's it's yellow snow, and you know the the idea of not flinching from any crime, no matter how vile, right? That they're willing to do anything because their their codes are broken. They're broken, but also we've discussed. We start getting it, even in this first chapter, mercy and justice and killing. Right, the idea of the king's justice. They do use that term. It feels very specific, in my opinion. Yeah, and and that idea of being removed from it, which is kind of interesting, because I don't know, Robert's Robert's interesting, and I mean, Brand will be in a position, right? Whether that's a, as a lord or even as a second son with a smaller keep, or if he's going to be a knight, as he hopes to be, right? Where he must be doing the killing or the execution. And he must be the one who is willing to hear a man's final words. And more than that, to truly understand the why of their decision. But Bran is also in a position where he can really, really, really do that because of his specific special magical power. And, <laughs> and I imagine that, you know, being able to do that is maybe it's kind of like, oh, I don't know, going through someone's POV chapters. Oh, my God. To understand their motivations and why they do what they do. And maybe why you shouldn't have to kill them? Maybe. I mean, like, that that's the question, right? Like, could you pass judgment so easily on, on the reasons and faults of people if you saw 
that closely mm-hmm. the circumstances of their life felt the things that they feel understood the people who affected them who hurt them and each wrong that was done to them and that led them to do those wrongs would you be able to understand what led to those wrongs knowing that maybe you would fail as easily as them if you were put in the same position and and if not does that mean maybe you should withhold it right which is I think very much how the story and and all of its grays, right, teaches us to feel beyond ourselves. That's, I think, the themes beyond the cool, magical power of being a skin changer. Yes. No, you're you're totally onto it because there's something like, not only is it, you know, if you knew their entire life, etc., but it's also humanity, right? Yes. The others, looking at the others on the other side of the wall, the armies of ice zombies, basically, the slaves, around the entire fucking continent and et cetera in the East, like looking at all these ideas of like these people that no one actually knows them and they're just condemned to this life uh, with no choice, no personal choice in the matter. And there's also this point that Ned says the king's justice. He's bringing the king's justice. But then Bran says Robert has an executioner. So it's two different concepts, right? That, Ned is doing what he considers is the king's justice because he's always done justice for Robert because Robert will not, right? Think of the Targaryen children, bloody, just wrapped up in those fucking scarlet cloaks to hide it. Robert didn't look them in the eye before executing them. Ned has been, in a way, always Robert's executioner. Um, And you know, it's interesting because Ned almost recuses himself. Like, his big secret is the Targaryen child that's gotten away, right? Um, and he, he almost uses hiding John as his kind of one cover as mm. he uh, supports this acidic king sitting the throne doing <laughs> nothing who used to be a quote-unquote warrior but now can't even be bothered to, like, kill someone himself. Mm. Yeah, I, I just find it such an interesting contrast, the phrasing that he's the king's justice, but Robert has his own executioner. So why are you fighting his battles, dad? Because he always has and he'll die fighting his battles. That's why. Yeah, it, it's that duty, right? And love. And we're going to actually see that again mm-hmm. in someone else this chapter. And I mean, it's both together. Mm-hmm. He has a duty to Robert and he loves Robert. I mean, love is the death of duty. Yeah. I'm sorry. It, I mean, I it me. is, it is, and it isn't. You know, that's what duty the story explores. Is the death of love. Death is the love of duty. Duties, Did I do all of them? Duty. Is the death of love. Duties, I mean, it works all ways. the death of the food. Are you just going to keep um, saying duty? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the only reason. That's <laughs> actually literally all I'm doing. I'm just like, when will she understand? Uh, I'm saying duty. <laughs> I realized it like at the third duty that you were just talking about poop. Uh, yeah. <sighs> Girls Gone Canon. Welcome. Um, I I love, again, that Bran's first thing he says is, he was a wildling. They carry off women and sell them to the others. Bran, you're so close. You're so close. <laughs> oh, yeah. Old so man, true. you're so close. Oh, it's boys, not women. But it's right there. There's your I, answer. I do wonder, like, if the show missed, like, do they also carry off women, right? Especially with the Night's Queen stuff. And I don't, yeah, some I rights don't would be nice. Yeah, I, I want I, the right to be turned into an other. I'm interested in what's going to happen. Because I was listening to, you know, um, the Castle Black podcast uh, uh, reactions to 
season eight, episode six, and they were like, what was with those generals? You know, why did that guy, why did the Night's King have all these generals? They didn't do anything. <laughs> they just stood there and no stared sense. at you. So, I mean, there's there must be a purpose, and I think that clearly, obviously, the generals, the others, won't just do nothing. I so. can't believe that you are forgetting the other canon, that they're all boyfriends. That's... I mean, they absolutely could be, but then why didn't we see them be a little more loving with one another? Because they were Game all of apart. Thrones wasn't about the romance, Aliana. It was about the action. It's not TV. It's HBO. Uh, you can't tell me that a lot of HBO is <laughs> not about romance. I've watched. I've watched Succession. I've watched. I've watched. So John <laughs> appears at that moment, telling them that they need to come quickly and see what Rob has found. Jory's there. We love Jory. Jory rides up, and they head over the riverbank north of the bridge, where Rob is standing in snow. John is still mounted beside him. Theon and Jory reach them first, and Theon's laughing and joking, but Bran hears the breath go out of him, and he suddenly shuts the fuck up, which has never happened in Theon's <laughs> life before. Ever. That's how you know it's a big moment. Gods, he exclaims, and Jory warns them to get the fuck away from whatever it is. And Rob grins, holding a bundle <laughs> in his arms. And he says, she's dead. She can't hurt you. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you see, right? He's They're brave. They're willing to, like, go out there and do do stuff, take risks. But also, the, she's dead. She can't hurt you. I'm like, very interesting, since you're just talking about the others and whites. Mm-hmm. Because she don't speak, but she does remember. Oh, those The wolf ones mother too? that dies. Yep, yep. Though I think, yep, yep. I do think, you know, Catelyn is the father. Judgment. Oh judge. No, 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 seriously, judging. Yeah, right? ju yeah judgment, death machine. Absolutely, and yeah. Ned with the mother's mercy. So, it, it, I mean, you know, the staghorn leading to the death of Ned. Absolutely, absolutely. It was right there the whole time. And I mean, I've at the same time. I've literally written about that before, but. Yeah. At the same time, I think we're going to see, too, it kind of encompasses Liana a little bit as well. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Bran is burning with curiosity, and he's forced to dismount at the bridge and approach by foot. So as soon as he gets off his pony, he <laughs> runs. Adorable. Rob says, it's a wolf. Bran's heart is thumping in his chest as he pushes through to see a wolf. Blood red in the snow, dead, ice in its fur, maggots crawling out of its teeth. But it's no ordinary wolf. It's huge. It's a dire wolf. Theon calls it a freak, saying there hasn't been a dire wolf south of the wall in 200 years. But Jon says, I see one now. Oh my god, boys, boys, stop fighting. Stop fighting. It, this is a perfect setup for fan fiction, and I know that those exist for them. Yeah, I, I know too. Yeah. I do know those exist on AO3, fanfic.net. Mm -hmm. I've Absolutely. heard of them. I've heard of all of them. <laughs> Uh, the I mean I think the Theon Rob ones are more common though, but that's called Throb actually. Oh, oh that's like, right. To educate it is. everyone listening. It's called Throb. <gasps> yep. So Rob holds one of the pups, which is gray black and eyes closed, murmuring and searching for milk. And Rob's others, ah. Rob lets Bran touch him, and Bran turns as John puts a wolf in his arms. I'm pretty sure this is you. Oh, sorry. There are five of them. Bran sat down in the snow and hugged the wolf pup to his face. Its fur was soft and warm against his cheek. Hullen, the master of horse, and Jory think it's a sign, but Ned says, It's only a dead animal. Don't be so fucking serious. This is okay, a serious Dad. story, Ned. 
<laughs> Maybe if you had taken this a little more seriously, you wouldn't fucking die this book. Right? Catelyn Stark took this seriously. <sighs> and she only made it to book three. Fuck. Right? Well, well. Anyways. They ask what killed her, and it's like, oh, the phrase. No, I'm joking. They ask what killed the direwolf. The direwolf mother and Rob points at something lodged under the jaw. Ned yanks it out. It's a foot, a shattered antler. Tines snapped off, wet with blood, and a silence comes over the party. Even Ned can sense the fear, but he doesn't understand why. Oh my god, Ned, learn to read. Ned tosses the antler, and we get this back and forth. I'm surprised she lived long enough to whelp, he said. His voice broke the spell. Maybe she didn't, Jory said. I've heard tales. Maybe the bitch was already dead when the pups came. Born with the dead, another man put in. Worse luck. I don't know why he was like some sort of plucky Englishman, but he was. I'm sorry. He's just another man. That's what another man sounds like, right? But yeah. I, you know, they're all like, oh, maybe she was dead or like, you know, and, you know, bad luck, the whole dying during childbirth. I'm like, oh, interesting, dying and childbirth, of which there is a lot of in this story. The, again, this chapter is totally about Bran. Like, I'll concede to you all that this is about Bran. But also, I mean, it's incredibly about John. Like, promise me, promise me, the wolf mother died savage because of a, you know, antler. Mm-hmm. Robert's Rebellion, Lyanna Stark, oh. dying in childbirth. Yes, I mean, yes, this chapter that, that, is littered with John, littered with yeah. John stuff. Uh, pup littered with John, uh, but mm -hmm. yes, I mean, absolutely, regarding Lyanna, but I didn't think about it in the context, right, of Robert's, Robert's yeah. Rebellion. Robert's antler. Holin tells them that these wolves will die soon anyway, and Bran gives a wordless cry of dismay. I know, I'm so upset, I, too. I would be upset. I'd be like, you shut the fuck up. <laughs> shut the fuck well, up. I mean, and Bran doesn't have, like, a sword sword on him, and Theon is like, yeah, yeah, the sooner the better. He draws his sword and makes to take Bran's wolf, who squirms like he understands, which, A, total foreshadowing. Um, I love that all of the wolves are you know very already they're bonding to their their person already immediately and later we learn john's wolf had his eyes open completely where mm -hmm. you know rob and brands don't which it makes me think you know rob was a little more closed off to his wolf at first in the warging side and bran obviously had his big fall before he really warged but summer knew summer knew he had a connection and it also feels like foreshadowing that theon like trying to kill bran and his wolf and rob later yeah yeah that too yeah yeah i'm and 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 that rob's the first one to find them right like did he sense mm -hmm. it from afar like was he like wait what's that over there too also uh did yeah. he hear something i mean i think as we've discussed right in a couple of places but also including in our episode about a rob pov and what that might entail over on patreon i think we talked about would rob be he'd probably i think be a very very strong warg and skin changer right more mm -hmm. in tune and more conscious of it than john is in the story and maybe almost as good as bran like but bran has like more i think range yeah whereas for rob it's very much only gray wind but still i think a very very strong and conscious bond yeah 
and I love again like John's has its eyes open first, which is kind mm-hmm. of interesting because you kind of think of Bran and he hears as them. the most in touch. Yeah, yeah, and he hears them. Even the way that the line comes when it's like, "Don't you hear that? Like, do you hear that?" Uh, it's funny Everyone's because it's like, like spooky. <laughs> they always say the weirwoods are whispering to one another, oh. right? And you can hear them. So that's what I immediately thought of because they're kind of in a grove so far north that it, you know, it's way different than Winterfell. I mean, Winterfell's like the city that's out on the town, you know, that's like everyone goes there. That's north and all, but it's not north north. Yeah. Yeah. They're north north. Well, good thing they got these horses, but for now we've we've still got to deal with this. Bran, you know, refuses as he should Saying that, no, it's his, it's my dog now. <laughs> and Rob tells him to put his sword away, that they will keep these pups sounding as commanding as their father. Hmm. And everyone's being hmm. fucking haters, right? We got, you cannot do that, boys, said Harwin, who is Holland's son. It'd be a mercy to kill them, Holland said. And Bran looked to his lord father for rescue, but only, but got only a frown and a furrowed brow. Holland speaks truly, son. Better a swift death than a hard one from cold and starvation. No! He could feel tears welling in his eyes, and he looked away. He did not want to cry in front of his father. Oh, Brian, you can cry. Your dad could I, use a you, good cry, honestly. Uh, yeah, I would be crying. I'd be like, fuck this. No, we cannot kill the dog. You can't just give me a dog long. and then kill it. No, yeah. What am I, Sansa? Jesus. Christ. <laughs> well. <laughs> it would be so unfair oh if God. your dad killed your dog in front of you. Well, you weren't there, at least, Sansa. At least it wasn't in front. There's that. Yeah. That would have been worse, nightmarish. I mean, it is a little worse, right? Because she's already bonded with this dog. This one, like, he's literally just met these puppies. God. You know, knowing the bond of dragon rider and dragon and, like, knowing the bond of wargs and knowing that they're all wargs, that sucks. Yeah. That just sucks. Sucks so bad. We ha- It's interesting that they say it'd be a mercy to kill them. So we've got mercy coming up so early in Bran's story. Mm-hmm. And with the Starks, and again, right, that question of, I mean, could you kill them, knowing that they are innocent? And especially with these wolves, right, knowing, and the wolves or anyone in general, knowing the beauty and joy and softness that they bring to the world, and their wolves here, but, you know, what about everything else, as you were saying, right, the bonds that people experience? And for Bran, especially, how much does he feel someone else's death, like anyone else's, especially if he sentences them to die, like, could you do it? And say, that's a mercy. Yeah, that line, better a swift death than a hard one from cold and starvation, especially, I mean, knowing what Brand's story becomes. We follow him, and they come close to starvation and dying from the cold, right? A couple <laughs> times. Yeah, uh, and that's true. Yeah, yeah, he's, but he's better for it, question mark. He'll be better for it, right? He'll know more from having this experience and be able to relate it to the world and maybe help the world and not only that but there's something about the wolf being dead and the babies being alive that like that mother wolf sacrificed died so that her Mm -hmm. babies had a chance to live in the winter and live through the winter not unlike Catelyn right who literally does that for Bran when the attacker comes yeah to me that that and that's a blood sacrifice which brings magic right and I mean and Ned, right? Ned sacrifices mm-hmm. himself. He takes that uh, 
hit on his honor and also becomes vulnerable and you know literally also dies in that moment mm-hmm. i mean that's <laughs> repaid lady's blood debt yeah you know yeah yeah but it definitely feels like blood <gasps> sacrifice for familial protection uh killing them now would be like you know it's wasting that sacrifice that she made yeah that's true maybe oh, everyone deserves that. for the coin to flip you know mm-hmm Rob argues that, okay, well, you know what? It'll be fine. One of the dogs just gave birth. That dog can nurse them. And the men argue that the dog would fucking rip them apart. And finally, John interrupts the argument, right? He says, Lord Stark. (laughs) Which is very formal and surprises Bran. And he points out- Surprised me too. (laughs) Right. There's there's a lot of math going on here, but also quite a bit of uh, world building. Now we understand what the Stark family looks like. There are five pups, three male, two female, like the true-born children of House Stark. Mm, mm, World building. Exposition. He says that the direwolf is the Stark House Sigil, and that the children were meant to have them. And Bran watches these men's faces change, understanding what John had just done. I have to say, before we launch into this, because I really love this passage. God, th- this whole chapter is beautiful. It tears me up. I love that George calls out, and though Bran was seven, he understood what his bastard brother had done. Yes. Like that he understands John's sacrifice for mm-hmm. their five immediately. And I, I do love the passage. The count had come right only because John had omitted himself. He had included the girls, included even Rickon, the baby, but not the bastard who bore the surname Snow, the name that custom decreed be given to all those in the north unlucky enough to be born with no name of their own. Their father understood as well. You want no pup for yourself, John? He asked softly. The dial of grace is the banners of House Stark, John pointed out. I am no Stark, father. Their lord father regarded John thoughtfully. Ned, sweating bullets. Does he know? Snow, Ned, snow! But, you know, I mean, we know what that means now, right? Like, speaking mm-hmm. of which, like, and that is, again, that slipperiness of identity, um, whether that's the Lord's face or father. Here we have John going between being a Stark, being a, a bastard son of Winterfell and and erasing that identity of himself and... Of course, that's a big part of, again, Bran's story in which he will have an identity entering other animals, but also maybe potentially people, as we see later on. But I I mean, what you said, right, about sacrifice and how that comes up so early and it comes up here with John making that sacrifice. And it's it's important that John does it himself, right? As we are always emphasizing, he's giving up his his identity right? And he's sacrificing and taking less. We see that's a trait that he has when it comes to duty and love, right? Um, Mm -hmm. In this moment. And so that others may have more, so that others can experience joy and live, so that the wolves might live. Yeah. The sacrifice. Because, you know, 
the pack survives. Mm-hmm. The lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. Indeed. Yeah. Good thing he finds that lone wolf, but, um... Yeah. Yeah. He's the lone wolf, but he's not gonna die. He's gonna live forever, and he's gonna get a spinoff on HBO. Apparently. Apparently. That's the real <laughs> way you live forever. You know, get a sequel series, but, uh, that's the epilogue, I guess. And... <laughs> Yeah, he he's gonna. I mean, what will he have to give up and sacrifice, right? Him, for mm-hmm. him, of himself, not the other I mean, parts of shit. sacrifice. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. There will be more one day. I mean, literally, life, life, happiness on the menu. Yeah, a lot. I mean, yeah, yeah he he does die. Family, he does die, <laughs> and yeah, just like that other series, John dies at the end. <laughs> Indeed, Spoilers. just like that. Um, yeah, stripping yourself of your identity like that in a place where, I mean, that's the thing, he already has nothing, right, without the Stark name, and him being able to put himself lower than that. John, what a boy. And, you know, there were some interviews with Daniel Abraham, the guy that did the graphic novel for A Song of Ice and Fire, that have kind of, they've stirred up fun in the fandom before, right? And I'll give you two quotes. One is from 2011 in an article where Abraham plays a Game of Thrones. Have you collaborated at all with George R.R. Martin in the process of adapting the novel to comics? If so, what's the creative process there? Daniel says, I've spoken to George a lot in the process. The biggest issues we have are continuity questions. There are things about this story that only he knows and they aren't all obvious. There was one scene I had to rework because there's a particular line of dialogue and you wouldn't know to look at it that's important in the last scene of A Dream of Spring. For that kind of issue, there's no substitute for just talking to the man himself. Okay, interesting, interesting. And Mm. like he said, you wouldn't know it unless you looked at it. And I know a lot of people have kind of speculated about this. Mm. And maybe some people have chosen what I think it could be. And it might not be at all. That's the other fun thing about this is like, I can make whatever I want up. You're all listening right now. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just guessing, just speculating. But there was another interview done by James Kelly over at Ranking Thrones. Uh, I I was actually on there a little bit ago for a Rhaenyra episode where they tore me to shreds because I really loved Rhaenyra. And then I left the episode and I was like, yeah, I give her a four as a queen. They humbled my bitch ass. I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. It wasn't good for me. But... They interviewed him and he said, I know details about Dream of Spring because of the conversations we had about A Game of Thrones. There were things he was setting up in early chapters of A Game of Thrones that are references to the end of the series. He had a very clear view of what those were negotiable and what weren't negotiable, and he had something he was aiming for at the end. It's very interesting. Those are very interesting things, right? I actually have these graphic novels. I should pull them Do out you really? Time. I think I yeah. have the first, yeah. I have a lot of the first few issues and um, from, I think, Game of Thrones and also from A Clash of Kings because A, I was getting them from my uh, local comic book shop slash a bunch of them were on sale, so I just bought a bunch of them once. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. We, well. I should find them. <laughs> you should you should drag them out. I, I only have, like, I think a handful of the first issues. And they're beautiful. I really do like them. I mean, it's kind of just a nice... It's nice to watch it in a different format, you know? I like that. All I, I remember is they the gave Celise a mustache. 
<sighs> respect. So one of the parts of the beginning of that first issue with Bran 1, and again, I really don't think that it might not be the phrase, but there was a phrase that stuck out to me here, right? The count had come right only because John had omitted himself. So that is the exact phrase in that great passage we read up there. Mm-hmm. In the novel, Bran understood what his brother had done. The count had come right only because John had omitted himself, Eddard's bastard son. So that's very condensed. So in this passage, we had him naming the girls, even Rickon, but not John, right? That John removes that from him. So I don't know, it's condensed in the novel, but it's also changed a little in the novel. So it gives me this possible idea. You know, we've had the theories about a possible council of sorts coming to pass at the end of the story, and season eight played with that. But what if that's it? The count had only come right because John omitted himself. I don't know. Interesting. I mean, that's something that I think will happen, you know? Bastard. Motherless. Damned. Yeah, I think it's around the idea of John omitting himself once you've called this all out. I, I don't know if it'll be like the line of like, I am no Stark or whatever, but regardless, mm-hmm. the idea of John omitting himself and erasing himself, erasing his claim, mm-hmm. his identity, and giving up his life, uh, but in a very different way. And yeah. Yeah. And brand knowing, you know. Yeah. Or it could be, I don't know. I, I'll have to check the graphic novel. It very much could be the word ass. You know, that could be that could be what plays plays mm-hmm. a big role. I know in a lot end. of people have theorized on that. Like about the word ass? Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. No, just like front, that there's so many different little phrases. Oh, okay. Yeah. That oh too. my god. That it could be. <laughs> that it could be. <sighs> Well, I don't know. That's my vote. Yeah, I like it. I think it's. I think it's got a lot of strength. I like Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Mine's ass, but um. So as opposed to what's being said, right? We have them rushing into the silence. He left. Rob promises to nurse the dog with a towel soaked in milk, and Brian's like, "Oh yeah, me too. Me too. That's what I'm gonna do." And D- Ned tells them that he will not have them wasting the servants' time with all this. They will feed the dogs themselves, train them themselves. You're gonna take them on walks. And you're going to teach them to sit and all those things. And, you know, if you neglect them or brutalize them or train them badly, then gods help you because direwolves actually are not dogs. All right. I know I'm using the word dogs because, I mean, let's be real. They're dogs, but also they're not dogs. They might die also no matter what you do. And the kids, they promise that they won't let them die. (sighs) Fuck. It's unfair. I mean, I think that's a that's another theme, right? Going on through this book of no matter all you do, it could still all be for naught. Everything could uh could all fall apart. People could still die. I like Quentin's story. That's one. Yeah, no chance and actually, no choice. Yeah, I mean, it could all be for nothing. Oh, oh. I mean, I don't know. Whatever. These wolves are gonna live forever. First of all, there's okay. never gonna be a single death. <laughs> First of all, second I of wish. all, man, Summer's death is gonna suck because that has you to happen. Think There's no way. Die? What the fuck? Get I think out of so here. because I, we're breaking up. I'm, no, don't don't dump me. I love you. What? <laughs> oh my god, I just got really scared and upset for a minute. Wow. 
<gasps> separation anxiety when are you coming over again um back to summer dying so what the fuck I'm sorry, but it makes a lot of sense because you have to kill that last connection to, like, rise above it all. Like, I mean, also, summer is summer. It's the end. There's no summer when winter comes again. Summer has to die to save everyone. Leave me alone. You know it's true. Look inside yourself. You know, know it to be that true. true. I've never been confronted this before, and I refuse to. I refuse to internalize this. Welcome to the brand chapters. I've confronted it already because it's going to suck. It's going to be horrible. It's going to break our hearts. It's like summer, Hodor. I've, I've come to other like realizations of people and characters dying. And it took me, you know, I figured those out. It took me a while to deal with that. And I, I'm not sure I'm ready for this right now. All right. I'm not emotionally ready for this. Ned's also not emotionally ready for a lot of things. But I guess he keeps going anyway. And for example, right now, like Ned gives in. He lets the kids keep the dogs. They're about to leave when John suddenly stops and asks, can't you hear it? And we're like, no. No, what the hell? And the wind moves in the trees. The horse's hooves clatter. But John hears something else and he follows the sound and comes back smiling. He must have crawled away from the others, John said. Or been driven away, their father said, looking at the sixth pup. Meta. His fur was white where the rest of the litter was gray. His eyes were as red as the blood of the ragged man who had died that morning. Bran thought it curious this pup alone would have opened his eyes while the others were still blind. An albino, Theon Greyjoy said with wry amusement. This one will die even faster than the others. Jon Snow gave his father's ward a long, chilling look. I think not, Greyjoy. This one belongs to me. Hmm. <laughs> this one belongs to me. Well, if they're metaphors, if you ignore Rob, right? Like, e but even still, like, in the larger scheme of, like, all six of them, John does die faster than the others. Yeah, I mean, he does actually die first. Lucky Rob that means he gets well, to Rob live dies at the first, end. Oh, well, John. Rob, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, like, then the others, right? If you ignore yeah. the other ones. But, yeah, John does die. Damn. Second. John is... Second, I guess everyone has to die a little in this story. Damn. Yeah, and apparently you think Summer's gonna die, which I'm like, what the fuck? <sighs> Initially, well, my my line here was just dogs, and now I don't know. My I'm fucking I'm messed up. I'm, I'm messed up. <laughs> I fucked this whole entire podcast up. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry to our listeners because they're probably also going, what the fuck, Chloe? <laughs> I'm I think you guys, we just covered this. Like, I think about death all the time. Uh, yeah, it is a bummer. I just do think it's gonna happen. I'm sorry. It's a, a yeah. It's a bummer, bummer for summer. all. Okay. It's a bummer for leave summer. Me, more leave like. Me alone. <laughs> okay, I get tears in my eyes just from reading that passage, though. Right, this one belongs to me. Uh, good for you, John, for taking that wolf. You are a wolf. He, you still are a wolf, even if you're the weird one. You know, people <laughs> always like to call him the white wolf, and I'm like, no, he's the weird wolf. Weirdo. I love him. I mean, he's also going to be the white wolf, right? W-I-G-H-T. But Yeah, true. He, but I you mean, can't spell he is weird. weird without weir. You know, like weird. Oh, oh. Yeah. You. No, thank actually, you, for you. real, though. For real. But uh, yeah, I mean, nothing's weirder than, I guess, being undead. It's pretty weird, John. 
Very strange. Guy. Very uncommon. You know, kind of a hit at parties, though, believe it or not. Yeah. So Bran thought it curious this pup alone would have opened his eyes while the others were still blind. We talked about it a little earlier in kind of a warg conversational context. But I also think there's something more than just the seeing as a warg. There's something about this chapter pushing that John sees more than everyone else around him. And it also was kind of apparent with, it was not courage. This one was dead of fear. You could see it in his eyes, Stark. I love that John is being set up as just being, I mean, even this compared to later, obviously he kind of acts a fool in his chapter at the feast. You know, he gets a little drunk, gets a little embarrassed, but this against Mance, right? You can see why when he meets Mance, John is so ready to take it on lying to him. I mean, he doesn't even stutter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... that's a trait of his that does really get honed throughout the story absolutely and i mean it's how he was able to kind of non-verbally understand what corn halfhand meant right when he's like kill me now john but he didn't say it like with his words he said it with his heart and that was a subtext Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah the only time that John's like, I think, really unable to understand and like see, but he's taught to see after a while is uh, at his in a few chapters, right? Like when he first arrives at Castle Black and he's like, mm, why does everyone hate me? And it's like, because you're being an asshole. You're being yeah. the Theon Greyjoy of the bunch. It's it's kind of funny. Yeah, because John becomes exactly what he hates. And I love the when he sees Ned later praying for John and Rob, and he's actually, like you were saying, you know, you're watching a CCTV of everybody, right? And then, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm so excited for these visions. God, him uh, seeing John at the wall, and I mean, going from Daenerys and the Dothraki Sea, too, that's going to be so exciting to read. Ah, oh my God, I just remembered all that happens oh, in man. his visions. Bro. And it may- I just realized also what you're saying about John, right? And him being able to see, he'll be able to see Daenerys for who she is, right? She's just doing her best, right? Everyone sees this, like, mad girl, like, or whatever. Like, she's Ares' daughter, and she's come with all these, like, scary dragons, and everyone has all these narratives of who she is. And Tyrion gets close, right? There's a lot of aspects of Tyrion's Mm -hmm. narrative about her that he tells Aegon that... Uh, ring true mm-hmm. to some extent but there's also that other part of her that we see in her pov and john's gonna see that he's gonna be like mm, i don't know how that feels yeah and then my men stab me <laughs> <laughs> um you know I, I, this is just the beginning at this point this is just the start the I stark think- oh. oh my god the stark start i guess my first or my f- last thing to say here Right. The last thing I want to say is there was an interview with Vanity Fair. God, what is this, like 2014, where George said, when I was writing the first chapter, I really didn't know what it was. Is this a short story? Is this a chapter? Is it all going to be about this kid, Bran? Bran is the first of the major characters you meet after the prologue. So you think, oh, okay, this is Bran's story. Bran's going to be a hero here. And then, whoops, Hmm. what just happened to Bran there? You know, he's he's talked about Bran as a King Arthur figure. 
Um, he's made Bran just such an important, such an important part of this. And I yeah, I'm very happy to be covering Bran with you. Yeah, I mean, I was until you were like, Summer's going to die. And now I'm like, I don't know anymore. You're being a I real baby. You know, that's life. <laughs> I am. That's why that's I just the life. brand voices. Being a real baby <sighs> about it. Um, yeah, you're a giant baby. I am. I am. And yeah, the great call out on how he talks about Bran as a King Arthur figure. And I know other people picked up on that before, too. But really, I mean, he just said it. Like, George told us literally the story. <laughs> literally. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Well, I look forward to continuing to read the best POVs with you, Eliana. You know, Indeed. which are and, Bran Starks. And I mean, as always, right? Like we, we've got a couple of guests lined up that I'm super excited to have on as they come. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm super excited. Yeah. Unfortunately, some of them we'll won't be for a while. Soon. Yeah. Just because yeah. of the nature of, you know, the books and how many chapters there are and how time works but linearly un unfortunately unless you're <laughs> listening to these much later in your own order which congrats that's true but linearly true. mostly mostly speaking but i mean like tell us what you think as always you can find us on social media at girls gone canon um on twitter that's twitter.com slash girls gone canon c-a-n-o-n Tell us uh, your thoughts about Bran, about the episode, um, how Chloe hurt you today. And you can also tell oh us God. via email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yes, yes. And if I hurt you so badly, you have to subscribe to us on a podcast platform. <laughs> Here are a handful that you could subscribe to us on. You could check us out over at Apple Podcasts, Google Play on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast, Spotify, God, I think Amazon Podcasts, Pandora, you name it, we're around. Check us out. Indeed, indeed. And of course, you can always find us on Patreon, where patrons in the $5 tier and above get bonus episodes every single month. But that's not all. No, we have so much happening on our Discord, right? We have a Discord server. It's private. It's for the Thunder tier patrons and up, though I will hint at you. If you're a Thunder tier patron on our Discord server, you have a lifetime Discord like server license with us. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. Uh, but we have Discord brunches every single month, brunch slash happy hour, where we all just hang out for a couple hours, bullshit, chit chat, sometimes play some games, catch up. And then we have something even, I think, more exciting happening right now because it's happening every week, which is House of the Dragon Discussions. Every Friday, Maddie, our friend, is hosting a discussion on Hot D. It'll be at 2 p.m. Eliana time, Eastern time, in our Discord, and we would love to have you join us. A discordion. I really thought oh, that was going to come out pretty good when I said it aloud. Didn't. <laughs> it's okay, Eliana. I liked it. I did laugh a little, so I liked it. You're just it. saying I that because it. I'm mad at you. <laughs> I'm sorry I said the summer. Anyways, as always, I have been one of your hosts who loves Bran Stark so much with every fiber of her being, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Eliana the broken hearted. <laughs> oh my god. Thanks so much for listening. I'm sorry for hurting your feelings, Eliana. It's okay, I guess. All right. Goodbye, everyone. See y'all next time. Goodbye. See you next time for Marley and Me.
Oh my god, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs>